All righty, Colin, welcome back. Great to be back. So here is what I would like to take on in this second session. In the first session, you gave a really two scenarios, and you described how a group practicing, and you used a shorthand term waterfall, or what I'm going to label as a shorthand term waterfall, a group practicing waterfall, how risk propagated and manifested itself with that approach. And then you used another, what I'm going to refer to as shorthand. You talked about how group practicing agile, how, how with that group, risk would manifest and propagate. What I feel would be really helpful for our listeners as we keep working at unpacking this book title, Make, Learn, Change, and, the, and obviously we're going to keep going through the book itself, but as we work at unpacking the relationship between making product, learning, and facilitating organizational change, what I think would be really helpful is that if we can start, if we can unpack this shorthand of waterfall and agile, and the reason why I think it's useful or will be useful is because my experience has been that too often these terms, when they're juxtaposed against each other, people look at these as methodologies, two different methodologies, two different tools in a toolkit mm-hmm. to be used for different situations. The framing that I'm going to try and put forward, at least for the first half of this session, is that these are actually two fundamentally different belief systems. That the approach that is termed as waterfall is based on a collection of premises about product development and product delivery. And the approach that is termed agile is equally based on a collection of premises. And so when we try and unpack this word learn and the activity of learning, you know, we're going to be talking a lot about a mindset shift. And that mindset shift is shifting from a belief system into another belief system. Let me just check in. Am I making sense there? <laughs> yeah, no, it makes total sense. I think we're going to yeah, really expose what sits underneath this, this language that gets used a lot. And I think that, like you said, it's often thought of as a methodology. And if we, if we want to be clear what we're meaning when we say methodology, it's a set of steps and activities and tasks and so on that you do in a, in a certain fashion and that you'll get a certain outcome. And there's truth to that. But, the, but what sits underneath that truth is what are the principles that sit underneath yeah, the exactly. collection of activities that we think are the right activities to take and the sequence in which to take them that's driving using one approach versus another. I think that's something that would be really useful to um, explore. Exactly. And, and just to be really clear, this is not an academic exercise. The purpose of this is so that when you're in the field, when you're in your day-to-day work, that as people are talking, as you're looking at that PowerPoint presentation, as you're listening to a group talking about their approach to delivery, you can start discerning. You have a more refined language to say, hey, wait a minute. The way you are 
proposing to deliver work there feels like it's based on the premise that, you know, premise A, we should be decomposing all our work into component parts and gathering all, all our requirements up front. And at the same time, you're telling me you're doing this using Scrum or as an agile approach. Those two aren't syncing up. And so you can better articulate the different belief systems. If you can identify them, I think you will be better positioned in your role as a senior manager, as a C-level exec, as a program manager, an entrepreneur running a company. You will be better positioned to coach, to help your team actually say, hey, could we integrate a few more feedback loops? Or talk to me about what are the assumptions actually that are maybe baked into this approach that we're, we've defined, this project plan. It not only will it allow you to, to, to understand and you have language in which to influence, it also gives you a, a mental framework with which to do diagnosis. Because, mm, good point. you know, I think everyone who's going to be listening to us is going to be working in a way that they believe is supposed to work. So whether they're drawing on a so-called waterfall set of beliefs or drawing on a set of agile set of beliefs, either way, they think they're doing the right thing, even if it's a blend of those things. So to be able to diagnose and know whether what you're doing really is trying to achieve what you believe would be a good thing to achieve, you need to have those frames of reference for saying, well, actually, we do care about this particular principle. And if we measure that principle against what we're actually doing, we're seeing that they don't really line up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I guess it's probably time to get into the detail of it. But I think this is a really useful session to, to help people have a better frame of mind to understand and therefore uh, know how to, to sort of navigate these things. All right. So let's, let's do it. The first set of premises that I want to unpack and call out is a belief in the waterfall approach, what is this shorthand term, waterfall approach, is that we gather our requirements up front as if they already exist. Inherent in that is a belief that we know what a successful product is before any product has been built or put into a customer's hands. And let's just, for a second, let me interrupt, sir. Yeah, do If it. we think about why that feels natural, it's that most of what we do in life follows that kind of idea. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, the typical example, if I'm going to talk about building a house, I'm going to sit down as an architect, I'm going to sit down with my, my client and start talking about what do you want? And I'm going to try to get a really good understanding of that. And I'm going to, it's going to progress to the stage of getting that written down in a format that's technically capturing everything we want in some kind of blueprint. And so that is a really natural order of things in our lives where before you embark on creating something, you find out what is it going to be <laughs> and you get really clear on that. So it's, a, it's understandable why that feels right. Building on what Colin has just said there, you know, building a house, that makes sense because it's going to cost you a lot of money to redo a bunch of walls or to completely revamp your kitchen if, you know, you've got it installed and decided, I don't like the way this layout is. Or I want it in the front of the house and not the back of the house. Exactly. And <laughs> so, so then digital product development has just inherited a way of working from this physical world. Correct. Because the perception has been, and probably in the early days of computers, this was true, it cost more to make changes. Yeah. But we've entered into a time 
where it is actually cheaper to build, get product into someone's hands, get that feedback loop going, and this idea of, and I'm going to use our, our agile lingo, this, this iterative incremental model. So let's, let's take a step back because I think we started to unpack why, what, what is the belief that sits in, in terms of waterfall around requirements. The, the belief is we can collect, we can go out and get the existing requirements and capture them. And we can do that in such a way that we can determine what should this product be and capture it through a set of requirements. That's the belief. The belief if that wasn't the belief, we wouldn't do that, right? The belief is I can do that. And therefore we spend allocate time at the very beginning to go get those requirements. It's not just that I can, it's the right thing to do. It reduces the risk of the project. Exactly. Exactly. And if you extend that saying, well, the mindset is why else? Why wouldn't you do that? If I, if I'm going to build something and I get some of the requirements now and I get some of them later, well, then how am I going to work those into the design and the technology to build this thing? If I, you know, it's equivalent to saying, how do I make sure I don't paint myself into a corner? If I'm painting a room and I'm not paying attention to making sure I understand the full layout of the room before I start painting, I might just start painting willy nilly and end up, wait a second, I can't get out of the room. I've painted the, <laughs> the exit first and I'm now in the, in the other corner. I can't get out. So there's a, there's a, understandable perspective, which is I need to understand what the whole thing's going to be. And once I know that, then I can go effectively design and build that thing. And then you have this next stage of design and build, just as you've implied. So let me move on to another, to another premise, which is that then it is also how the development of that product is going to be broken down. Again, very similar to the way we would talk about building a house. I have something that would be parallel to a foundation, then a first floor, then a second floor, then building the interior, etc. And this premise is that I can decompose a product into these parts, but it stays rather black box for a while because I don't get anything in my hand until I've built the foundation, built some of the framing of the first floor roof, and then, oh, now I'm seeing something. And this was the example that Colin gave in the first session in which risk doesn't make itself apparent until quite late in the process. And this will be clear what kind of risk we mean. The kind of risk I think John is referring to here is the risk of, is this the right thing to be building for our customer? So if you show the customer some foundations, it doesn't mean much. No. You show them a bit more structure that sits on top of the foundations, doesn't mean much. It starts to mean something when you start to see the walls go up and you see the shape of the, of the actual living space that they're going to be inhabiting start to be evident. But that's only available towards the very end. And therefore, if it turns out that that structure wasn't correct, how do you fix it? You've just laid a foundation that's intended for, to, to make it work in a particular, you know, suitable to a certain building um, config, configuration. And I would add, well, it's not just, I would say it's not just building the wrong product for your customer, but in my experience, I've also seen how people have gone quite far down the path with the wrong technology solution. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's and, a really good point. And so in the agile space, and in that scenario that Colin gave in that first session, he talked about building this, what it's often talked about as a thin slice of value. I want to get just something into my customer's hands first. So can we do it? What obstacles are in our way to doing it? And two, to get that feedback loop started so that I am reducing the risk quite early on um, that I'm building the wrong thing and that actually 
my technical, my thinking, my technical solution is actually, has at least a high probability of being correct. Yeah. And this comes back to the title of the book, which is the Make, Learn, Change. As you're making something Bingo. in that fashion, you are learning not only about what is going to work for your customer, you're learning about the technology, you're learning about your organization's capabilities to release products into the hands of people. How long does that take you? How hard is it to do? There's, there's all this learning that takes place by the process of trying to get something built in in the hands of a customer. Now, which brings us to another premise. Change in this belief system that we're shorthand, you know, that gets often a shorthand term of waterfall. Change is actually something that you need to keep out. You need to manage it away. You need to control it. So once you've gathered, quote unquote, gathered your requirements, you lock those down and you baseline. And then you manage the change to those requirements because change is probably the highest risk you're facing towards hitting the deadlines, the estimated deadlines, so it was often called scope creep. In the scenario that Colin just described, this idea of I'm making something so that I can learn, so that I can change if needed, I... We often talk in the Agile community of, you know, we embrace change. I'm not sure we love the fact that we have to change. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's, but it is recognized as a reality of the type of work that we are doing. And therefore, we are better, because of the way we are working, we are better positioned and mentally ready to adapt because we have to adapt, because the objective is product that's going to solve a problem, pro product that you know is meaningful to our customers. Colin, anything on that one? Yeah, I think the whole idea that sits behind getting things in the hands of customers cannot be underestimated in terms of the number of benefits that come along with it. Like when we talk about a mindset, it's like this force that is pushing through and giving you all of these benefits by the fact that you're focused on get this thing in the customer's hands and it you know it surfaces all these challenges it surfaces the opportunity for change and that mindset if you come with the mindset that change is going to happen and you know change is one way of thinking about it learning is another way of thinking about it new information feedback these are all terms that are are focused on there's something new that's going to surface by the mere fact it's new to us so something that we didn't know when we started that we now know because we pushed it through the system to get something in a customer's hands that we want to happen. We want to learn something new. We want to learn that we had the wrong assumption. And if you adopt that mindset, then you, you actually want to learn that as quickly as possible because as soon as you learn it, the more you can take advantage of that new information. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. There's this desire to learn. Yes. With the recognition that learning may require me to change or right. our team to change or the whole product to change. And like you said, in the waterfall mindset, change is something to be avoided and to be pushed away and to be, you know, put a, a really high hurdle for change. You know, I, you know, I'm sure you can recall uh, lots of instances where you have um, a change control board. So you've got, oh uh, yeah, if you want, <laughs> if you want to make a change to the project plan that's been baselined, which is the term you used earlier, you baseline the plan, which means anything that deviates from the plan, you better have a really good reason for explaining why you want to change the plan. And to put in hurdles to make that more difficult, 
conscious or unconscious, I don't know. But first you have to fill an impact report. So what's going to be the impact of the suggested change you have? Then the change control board may meet monthly. So you have this delay of when the when they can actually hear on average, it's going to be a two weeks delay from the time you recognize the changes needed to the time it's actually going to be considered. And then there's a very good chance it'll get rejected because the cascading impact is likely to have an impact on your deadline because you don't want to take anything out and you want to bring something in. You know, these are the kind of considerations. So there's a huge uh, barrier to change just systematically built in because change is seen as something that's bad in that mindset. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let me, let me get this last premise in because I want to also talk a little bit about the obstacle is the way. Um, the, the, the other premise, and it's not the, the only one, there's many more that we can unpack, but let's just, just for this session, is the idea that it is more effective or it is a more efficient use of quote unquote resources of the, the expertise if they stay focused only on the thing that they are an expert in. And so you have this decomposition of a project into the relevant tasks and then a, you know, a Java developer, an AngularJ, a database developer, you know, are only doing their work for a set period of time. Whereas in the agile belief system, what you have is this concept of what we talk about as cross-functional teams. So a collection of expertise that is brought to bear on a business problem. And the belief is that that is actually a more effective way of delivering fit-for-purpose product, that these different perspectives tackling this business problem will help. Actually, it's twofold. Delivers product faster and delivers fit-for-purpose product faster. Yeah, and you know, I think the the mindset comes with thinking about having your disciplines and your expertise siloed working independently is that the underlying belief is that if they focus on just their thing they will be more efficient at doing that and we also want to build some independence between the different uh, expertise and i call them disciplines so same thing so if i have some people who are really good at at gathering requirements and documenting them and getting them ready for moving to the next stage of development then that's what they should focus on. They should put an intense amount of time doing that. And the, the other people, so let's call them just engineers for simplicity, software engineers, they will be doing something else somewhere else while this set of business requirements gathering people, business analysts, are doing their thing. And the idea is that once they're finished that, they've documented sufficiently that they can hand that over to the engineers to start working on. And in that t- at that point, those business analysts can go off and do something else. So... But with that mindset, you're, you're trying to optimize for the efficiency of the task at hand for that individual uh, role. And there's nothing wrong with that on the surface. I mean, no one would, would, I don't think anyone would reject the idea of efficiency of people doing their jobs. But the problem is it doesn't lead to the outcomes that we're Absolutely. aiming for yeah. with an agile approach. So you can do that really efficiently and just get to a place where you've got a product that isn't fit for purpose um, it has many other sort of uh, issues with it. Whereas in the agile mindset where you bring everyone together, you bring all these different disciplines together, all these different expertise to work on the same problem together, you acknowledge, by doing that, you're acknowledging that these problems aren't things you can isolate. The solution to addressing a particular requirement requires the thinking of the different various 
perspectives that come by bringing a cross-functional team together to get the best answer. Mm -hmm. To put a little bit of meat on the bones on something like this, you know, for every problem that you're going to solve for a customer, there are, there are countless ways to solve it. And some of those ways can be, can, be, can be tempered by having the perspective of another discipline. So if I'm a designer and I'm going to de design a, uh, a screen layout or I'm going to des design a, an interaction for the customer, if I'm not getting the perspective of the technologist who's going to implement that, I can come up with some great stuff, let my mind roll, like, you know, run free. And it turns out the technologist, I can build that, but that's going to take me six months. And we could solve that differently and get a you know, very similar impact that you want. And I could, you know, a version of that could be two months. But if you don't have the technologist there to bounce that off of with the, with the designer, you are going to end up with something that is not going to fit into the project into the timeline that you have for delivering value. So by bringing these different disparate perspectives, and when we say perspective, it's more than that, it's expertise to bear on thinking through the problem and the solution, you come up with better solutions. Absolutely. When you're in the room, when that's happening, it's a pretty powerful experience. It's fantastic when you see a light bulb moment when a technologist who often isn't, you know, historically, they aren't really thought of as those who can come up with good ideas. For some reason, they're thought of as people who can just execute ideas. But you can be in the room and see the conversation take place and a, and a technologist offers up a potential solution and everyone goes, oh my God, that's such a, let's just do that. Yeah. Why, yeah. why don't we just do that? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Okay, now, as you attempt to work in what, what I believe is a lower risk way of working, as you attempt to shift the belief system in your organization, you ultimately are going to come up against obstacles. And in the scenario that Colin gave, he talked about a group that were trying to get some value into a customer's hands. They couldn't because the test environment didn't exist. And in that hypothetical story, they then flagged up this risk and marked their using a RAG status, marked their, their program as red. Those obstacles we would argue, are the way. That's the path. Those are the things that are preventing your organization from getting a closer connection to your customer, from finding effective technology solutions. You know, I don't know what all the obstacles are going to be that you're going to find. But as you start working at putting some of these different practices and principles into play, inevitably stuff is going to get in your way. It will feel like it's getting hard, but actually those are the mindset shift points, you might call them. Colin at the end of the session, in our last session, said that he would argue that would be a very powerful agile transformation. And I said, well, actually, I would argue that is what an agile transformation should be. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Well, I was going to say, you know, it, it also makes me think of the attitude that people can have to these issues surfacing. They can be seen as threats, you know, trying to, you know, change the status quo and, and, and the resistance to wanting to do that. Or, you know, to be a little bit corny about it, but it could be seen as an opportunity. And the opportunity is we have now discovered that we have something in our system that prevents us from getting things into the hands of customers quickly. That's a good thing. And it is the mindset with which you view that thing surfacing that's going to determine whether you're going to be able to make change or not. If you see that as a positive 
opportunity to change something and, and, and make your organization more effective in, in doing this kind of product work, that's a wonderful gift. Absolutely. If you see it as a shining a light on things that really ought to stay the way they are, mm. then what you've, what you've really found yourself is, is the obstacles to transformation, is the unwillingness to actually make the change. And then what happens is, if you're not, you know, if you're in an environment that's not really authentically ready to do what it takes to, to get the benefits of something like an agile way of working, then what you're doing is you are solidifying that the change you have in mind is really just in your mind. Elaborate on that, Colin. Well, I think there's a lot of organizations that say we want to be agile. You know, that's everywhere. Nowadays, I think you'd be a real, you're hard pressed to find people who say they don't want to be agile. But that is just a concept until you actually are prepared to do the things that have to change to allow that to be real. Got it. Got it. So if you are, if you are, if it's brought to your attention that there is an area in which your organization is struggling to be able to satisfy the need to have things move through it to get things in the hands of customers quickly, one reaction is thank goodness now we can make that change happen so that we can get better at being agile. Or it's like oh, I like the idea of talking about being agile, but when it comes to actually making the changes, I'm not prepared to do that. You know, that's where the rubber meets the road. And, and if I could just interject here, that notice that what Colin is highlighting is the interplay between making, learning, and changing. These are deeply intertwined activities. You can't really separate all these rituals and practices from the act of learning and ultimately changing. And I think, you know, those words sound very action-oriented, which they are. But as we started this whole episode, we are really talking about the mindset that goes with those actions. You need a particular mindset in order to enact those actions. And so what, what Colin and I would like to now start delving into in our next session is to start going deeper into this activity of learning and what is the role that you can play to facilitate that learning so that you're not stuck as you know Colin gave an example of you know stuff staying in the closet not shining a light on things what is the role and the the mindset that you can bring to this process of learning Colin why don't we do a little recap cuz we're at time okay great one thing i'd also like to leave them with some actionable questions that we can oh, yeah. Thank share you that will help people um, as they go back into their environments and try to use what they've learned um, in our conversation today. So in terms of, you know, wrapping up, we have definitely, we've talked about the, the mindsets that, some of the mindsets, I think that's really clear, we should be clear that we, we, we've chosen a small handful, but there's a broader set and they're not written in tablets somewhere that you can go up to the mountain and read. It's, it's, it's you know, it's, a, it's about understanding the, the, the meaning that sits behind these terms we've been using. So, John, let's go through them. What was the first one that we, we, we tackled? The, well, we talked about how this difference between I can gather requirements, I can understand a system completely up front before I even make an attempt to build some form of, of value, something that I can get into a customer's hands so that I can start getting feedback on. Or I can not do that and understand that I'm going to unearth the needs through the process of trying to build something to show people and understand through that, that, oh, I thought I had that right. Let's, tr let's, let's go back again and do the iterative and incremental approach to understanding those requirements. And then we talked about how the decomposition of a product or the delivery of that product in the more traditional approach, the mindset is, is to use the model of building a house. 
in the, the shorthand term, this idea of agile ways of working, it is can we get a thin slice of value, something into our customers' hands so that we can start getting some form of feedback. So a little bit of the foundation, a little bit of the, you know, the, whatever sits on top of the foundation, a little bit, little bit, but that little bit is creating that singular little slice of functionality that we can put in front of a customer and get their feedback. Yeah. And as tiny as it is, if, if you haven't worked in that way, I can tell you, it will surprise you at how much feedback you can actually start eliciting from very tiny bits of product. Yeah. All right. What's our third one? Well, then we talked about the idea of in the agile community, what is often termed as cross-functional teams, this diverse points of views versus a more traditional approach, which is to use uh, the disciplines or the expertise only in their specific areas of expertise. And I think, you know, a question, if you, you know, see this, this more traditional approach happening, you could say, hey, could we bring in some of the developers and some of the testers, you know, to start working with those business analysts and I'd just be interested to hear what they, you know, maybe they have some, maybe they should be brought in a little more upstream into the design process. And where we took this is that as you start attempting to put into practice these other ways of working, what I term as these ways of working that help to reduce the risk in your product development processes and in your product portfolio, inevitably you're going to start hitting obstacles. And that is the transformation right there. That is the act of transforming. And those obstacles become your path. They become the way to help you understand where do I need to change? And what I'd highlighted, Colin, is that this, you know, the title of your book, Make, Learn, Change, these are deeply intertwined activities. Colin, anything from... Yeah, so I'm thinking about what, what are some questions that our listeners can use to help them in their organization. So one of them comes to mind is, what are we doing on our products to ensure that we are learning about the requirements through feedback and not with the attitude of gathering? Mm. In other words, under, believing at some level that we can understand and identify all the things that need to happen need to be built into this product upfront. Are there opportunities you know, let's talk about baby steps. Are there opportunities in my organization to start to get feedback as early as possible about what these requirements should be from our customers? That's a baby step in the right direction. Absolutely. Good one. I think another one is what area of functionality could we try, even if we're already working in a waterfall way, where is it in our process that we could take a slice and try to push that slice all the way through the process? Mm -hmm. As difficult as that may be. And then, which leads to another one, are we, are we taking that learning and doing something with it to make, make for um, positive change? And then the last question I have to offer is where are there opportunities to, to capitalize on collaborating across mm. ed expertises? Mm -mm. And what we sometimes are called disciplines. Mm -hmm. And you know what? In fact, you could just try an experiment. If this is, un if this is unusual in your organization, you could get a, a collection of different people across different disciplines, bring them together for a day with a challenge question that's related to the product and just ask them to explore that together mm. and then reflect on what that felt like for the team. Ask them, you know, how was that? Was it efficient? Did you learn anything you didn't expect to learn? And so on. And use that as a way to explore if you could imagine getting more value out of your teams working closer together. 
Colin, why don't you tell everyone where they can get the book? Yep, you can get the book at us2.com. So that's U-S-T-W-O.com forward slash agile hyphen transformation. Super. All right, everyone. Thanks a lot. We're looking forward to keeping on going and uh, we're looking forward to you joining in the uh, upcoming session. Thanks, John. Thanks, Colin. Bye, everyone.